welcome listeners, one and all, welcome to Regency Rumours, the podcast where a British-American couple recap and discuss Bridgerton, the Regency Netflix show. I'm Jordan. And I'm Kayla. And we're almost to the end of the finish line. It's the end of July. And yes, we are just now on episode seven of Bridgerton, but better late than never, I would say. Yeah, sure. Also, end of the finish line. Yeah. I I, th- I think the finish line is the end. I don't think the finish line has an end. It just is the end. Oh my gosh, here we go. I am in a mood. Um, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, I've, been, I've been drinking the caffeine and I've been writing all night, all day, and I'm in a bit of a, a hypery place, um, which is why most of the talking today is going to be you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jordan fancies himself a writer these days, so he's been writing away, and I still am doing my PhD that never seems to end. <laughs> but it's getting there. It is getting there. And you know what? This time next year, we're going to be on top of recording these episodes, aren't we? Just nod. Anywho, if you're new to the podcast, this is seven episodes into Bridgerton Season 2, so if you're just now joining now what are you doing go back and listen to the rest of them we have kind of a breakdown of these episodes where we start out i talk about some period drama news and then we kind of give our first perceptions of the episode how we thought it went down what we feel about it then we talk about some main moments of the episode what we thought were funny we talk about some relationship stuff sometimes some stuff about character and story and plot because we're both writers and then at the end we do a history moment where we talk about an aspect of history that Bridgerton is rooted in. In this episode it happens to be the history of broken engagements because that is what's happened in Bridgerton on episode seven which is entitled Harmony. Interesting name. Very interesting name. So, anywho, there is a long history moment today, so we're not going to chat for too long because this broken engagement thing, I've talked about it before, how I'm interested in whether or not Edwina really would have been ruined by a broken engagement, how much this really would have affected her, how bad it would have been for women, and I've done a bit of research, and I think I found the answer. So, I want to be able to chat about it today, so we're going to do just a, a bit of period drama news bit of chatting on this episode because let's be honest it was a little bit boring there's like they dance at one point there's a harmony dance what else happens in this episode do you even remember do any of us remember no so we're gonna focus on the history today i I can safely say that i do not remember anything about the final two episodes of bridgerton (laughs) because it has been months it's been months and honestly this show goes downhill after episode six anyways i think that's a bit rude but I've got my own period drama news that I didn't put in the notes. What's your period drama news? I read Persuasion. You did, didn't you? Hmm. Um, it only took me a few days. It was a little bit longer than it should have, really. And it took me two, two, three days over the course of three weeks. Like it, Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I, I should have really kind of knuckled down a bit sooner. Um, but no, it was really good. Yeah. Um, did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. I think it was really interesting because I don't know if this is something that um, Austin does in everything or not, 
but the start of the novel reads like a tax document. Uh, okay. It, I mean, it's just all over the place, and like it's this omniscient narrator that I honestly just find really old-fashioned at this point, and that I know that's purely because of the age that we're in now. At the time, that was exactly what everybody did, and it was fine. It is old-fashioned now, so that's just something that's hard for me to get used to. Um, but an interesting thing about this novel, Persuasion, is that she used free indirect speech, which is a method of, of narration, which I think is one of the first times it had been used in a published novel, I'm not sure. Um, but that was basically where, in one of the scenes, the narration splits between the narrator and Anne in, like, every other sentence. And so it was a really interesting look into Anne's thoughts at that moment. And, yeah, just really clever, really interesting. That was in the, the latter half of the book, which, again, I found a bit more interesting. The end of the novel had a, a I don't know, what do you call it, like a deleted chapter, mm. um, which was really interesting because I read it out to you. You said you'd not actually read that before, but I that hadn't. it had been in some of the films. It had, it had been in one of the films, which... I, in some ways, just had assumed it was in the book. I mean, I've read the book a couple different times, and obviously it wasn't in the book, but I think because I watch so many of these different adaptations, sometimes it meshes in your brain, so it's yeah. it's nice to know kind of the, the difference between the two um, and what it might have been like had she put it in the, in the book, mm. so... And obviously this was prompted because of the new release. Yes. So if we're already in period drama news, that's uh, what I was going to go on into is that there's a new adaptation. I feel like that's a really, that's a stretch to call it that. Anywho, there's a new adaptation of Persuasion that has come out on Netflix. There's loads of buzz about it. There's all sorts of articles going around about it and... Yeah, it's having a moment. Um, I watched it recently, and we've kind of got some news on that. Um, we will be doing kind of a preview episode of Persuasion. There's actually going to be a video that's coming out soon, not our video. It's a friend of ours uh, who has a YouTube channel. She's an author. And we're going to kind of be putting a sneak peek preview of that video up on one of our episodes. And we're just going to have like a, a brief chat about how Jordan saw the book, um, how we think this movie compares to the other movies. And then I'm going to put a preview of the YouTube video in there where you can have links to, to go and watch the full video and um, and I'll be in there. So that should be exciting. And as soon as soon as we've got that up, I will be uploading that to um, regencyrumors.com. Cool. So yeah, definitely check that out because that is going to be coming pretty soon and you can get kind of our full feelings on the new persuasion. I promise to try and be at least a bit fair. I'm, I'm trying my best not to be one of these people who are like, oh, it should be exactly like the book because I don't want to be that type of person. And I, I'm, I'm not. I really do enjoy loose interpretations and things like that. Um, however, yeah, you know what? I won't, I won't go into it. But the point is, if you want <laughs> there's to- There's a lot riding on that, however. There's a, there's a lot. But uh, more period drama news. If you are in the UK, Sanditon premiered on ITV, I think Friday night. So- which 
Oh, goodness. What what are we now? July? End of July. It's end of July if you're listening to this. <laughs> anyway, Sanditon is out on ITV for those in the UK. It's been out for a while um, for other places such as the US. Um, so if you would like to check out Sanditon, um, which we've talked about before on the podcast, we want to do some special episodes at one point. It is on BritBox for everybody else who's not in the UK. There's new Rainbow Editions of Bridgerton series that looks really cool. Um, I was thinking that they were going to do a new edition of these books that were coming out um, because Bridgerton's gotten so famous. And especially in the UK, I don't think that Julia Quinn had any of her books published in the UK prior to the series coming out, which is really interesting. Um, I think it was mostly in the US. And so... Um, there's these new bra- rainbow editions that I think they're hardcover and they look so cool. It almost looks like a, a mansion where different silhouettes are in scenes. Um, and then when you put them all together, they all have a really cool kind of translucent coloring going on. What? Translucent coloring? You know, like, not translucent, fluorescent. That's the word. Oh. Fluorescent coloring going you on. You really confused me yeah. with that one. Mm, okay. I'm all right. So, yeah, they look really cool. Less 2000s, which is when the books came out. Uh, They had some very interesting covers in the 2000s. So someone posted about it in our Facebook group and said that they were going to get these new editions. So if anyone's got them, please post it in the Facebook group. I'd love to see what they look like because I kind of love to get this rainbow edition. I think that would be really cool. If you're not in our Facebook group, our Facebook group is facebook.com slash Regency Rumors. With a U. With a U. Yeah. I I feel like everybody knows that by now. Do you know what? We got, you say that, but we got a uh, a review on Apple Podcasts where somebody said that they think that's a a funny part of our podcast that we say Regency Rumors (laughs) with a U, which I think was funny. It's mostly a place where I post updates and new articles that come out about Bridgerton. We do have people joining every week. It's it's not the most active group, but I post stuff in there. And if you want updates on podcasts or Bridgerton, or like I said, YouTube videos that we may or may not be in, then join us. Lastly, for uh, period drama news, is that the new season of Bridgerton is filming. It was really fun. The cast has been posting videos and pictures of themselves and kind of getting on set and They've they've been saying that where they're filming in the UK down south, people have been taking videos of carriages that are on like truck beds and stuff and saying, wonder what's filming here, which I think is really funny. So someone posted a video of the different cast kind of getting ready and Nicola Coughlin or Coughlin, I don't know, um, they posted a video of of her getting ready for a scene and you can tell that uh, Penelope's going to have a bit of a, a transformation. Her makeup's a bit different. Her hair is much more mature. Um, so I think that's going to be really interesting. Mm. Yeah, okay. it's um, she looks less girlish, I think. Ah. And I think this is going to be a very maturing season for Penelope. So I'm kind of excited yeah, about you've, that. You've said before that you thought that that would kind of be the aim of it. Yeah, I since, predicted that. Yeah. yeah, ever since we kind of knew that that was going to be that those characters were going to be the focus. You did say that you thought that they were going to have to do that. And so... I think they have. Mm, I think that's what's happening. So, anywho, now we're going to move on to episode seven recap. So I do a very brief recap of 
the episode because, like I said, it's been, what, two months since it came out? And we've all forgotten, and things have happened. So here we go. Time for an entire episode that should be renamed, Well, This is Awkward. So Violet and Lady Danbury's grand plan for making this whole failed wedding fiasco thing be fine in society is to act like everyone is the best of friends and spend loads of time together. Naturally. Which isn't awkward at all. Everyone is turning their backs on the Bridgertons and the Sharmas, and Lady Featherington is loving it. Violet suggests that the two parties should co-host a ball to show that the ending of Anthony and Edwina's wedding was mutual, and show that no one is ashamed. During this meeting, Kate and Anthony are worse than ever now that they've been exposed, and sadly, Edwina is finally seeing it when she says, Was I truly that blind? I actually really liked that moment. It was really funny because... It was a true kind of revelatory moment. I liked it. Anthony starts wallowing in his own self-pity and decides that he's just a failure and Benedict is going to have to marry and carry on the family name. Ah, Benedict, the celibate monogamous settled down one of the family. Celibate? <laughs> it's, it's a joke. Naturally, Benedict is not going for this idea as he is currently in another situation which he is not so keen of getting out of. Thankfully, other things are going on besides Kate and Anthony's messed up relationship, but they're not such great things. The Queen is on to Eloise's trips to the print shop and commands her to come clean about her being Lady Whistledown. Scared out of her mind, Eloise is doing a deep dive of every single Lady Whistledown she can find so she can uncover the true Lady Whistledown before the Queen comes after her. Penelope, in true Penelope fashion, tries to steer Eloise away from the print shop and Theo so she can distance herself and her friend from her nom de plume. Madame Delacroix freaks out when she finds out that the queen is involved and might find out she helps Penelope, so she suggests that Penelope write something terrible about Eloise that she'd never write about herself. Poor Eloise, she also receives another blow when Theo tells her not to come into the shop anymore, as the two of them are of such different social standings that it would never work. And if he got caught helping her, he wouldn't have the protection of a wealthy family. This only spurs Eloise on further, however, and she's determined to find out about Lady Whistledown. The Harmony Ball that the Sharmas and Bridgertons plan is a big fail. No one turns out after tireless effort from both parties. They try not to let it get them down, however, and the group dance amongst themselves with Kate and Anthony dancing together at the party. Later that night, we're hoping it's Night, and no one can see. Let's turn down the lights a bit. Anthony and Kate run into each other under the most perfect and beautiful gondola because, duh, this is Bridgerton. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and the two start fighting, which turns into a different kind of fight. <laughs> the kind where kids say, <laughs> Daddy, why were you wrestling mommy? <laughs> the two start stripping each other in the most bodice-ripping Fabio fever dream of those romance novels your grandma used to buy at Walmart kind of way. <laughs> I'm proud of that one. Yeah, well, I really hope that my grand didn't buy those. <laughs> and the two finally give in to their physical, carnal feelings for one another. Is her lingerie anywhere near historically correct? Absolutely not. Of course that's what you know is. Is it pretty and do I want a pair because they look comfy? Yes, please. The next morning, Anthony wakes up alone as Kate agonizes over what just happened between the two of them the night before. 
To get her mind off things, Kate goes for a ride. Meanwhile, Anthony is finally ready to propose. He learns, however, that she's gone out for a ride and begins chasing after her, only to watch in horror as her horse doesn't clear a jump and she falls off, knocking her head against a rock. Dun, dun, dun! It's her fault for not wearing a helmet. I, I could have made a such sex joke, but I'm not gonna. Okay. In- <laughs> <laughs> and neither did he. But um. Uh, initial reactions to this episode. Um, this is where our lackadaisical approach to recording this every week <laughs> has really come back to bit me in the bite me in the behind. Because there's a lot about the episode that I don't remember. However, when you're mentioning the recap, there were certain scenes that did flash into my memory and go, oh yeah, I do remember that. So in terms of overall impressions, very memorable. I mean, uh, other than the, I guess, other than the fact of them doing it and her falling off a horse, nothing really happened in this episode. No, is- I mean, the dance was fun, like with all the family and stuff. And they were like, oh no, silly of us to think anybody would come. No, and you then- know what? I don't agree with that. Well, okay, let's just jump into the main moments because I have thoughts. One of the things that I was thinking of is like, what do we think about this Harmony Ball? And I'm sorry, I'm not convinced that that people wouldn't show up to this. I don't think it's a realistic plot point. And I know that it's Bridgerton and nothing is realistic. However, I just think when you think about how bloodthirsty society is and how much people are curious about celebrities' lives and people's downfalls... And how obsessed people were about, like, the Johnny Depp trial, those sorts of things. I think people would be lining up out the door to come to this ball to watch how Kate and Anthony interact with each other, how Edwina and Kate interact with each other. I think loads of people would have showed up for this ball for the curiosity alone. So I I believe... I disagree, because as much as people love a good train wreck, it's also... It's the public stain of showing up to such a shameful situation that that's why people stayed away. Because they're like, I can't be associated with those lot. Like, look what what ridiculousness they did. And it was a, probably a form of, like, punishment of, like, you just did a silly and now we're not going to show up. We're going to teach you. <laughs> we're going to teach you not to do it again. I suppose. I just... I, I, I feel like if it were me... Or if, like, a group of my friends are like, you going to go? And you know what? It would be one of those things where, like, we'd all say we weren't going to go till the very last minute. And then we'd all be like, you know what? We're we're just right across the street. You know, we could just pop in and see if anybody else is in there. And I could see a bunch of people doing that. Just being like, you know what? No, we won't go. Like, who else would go to a party like that? No, we're not going. And then very last minute we'd be like, we should – I just want to see, like – how they're being like i just want, i just want to see and i think i think some people would just mosey in and be like I, I was just you know i was just across the street and i just i think that's a very american kind of opinion though i don't know like the british are so like reserved i'm not a hundred percent certain i i disagree with you mm. the droves of people that would come out just to see diana you can't tell me that british people aren't that's a totally different time period like yeah, but people have always been that way. People used to go to, to like, public hangings and... Sure. Uh, you know, I can't see... If people are willing to go to a public hanging, which is arguably the worst 
stain on society type thing. That's that's the most shameful thing that you can ever go through is being killed in front of no, loads that, of people. No, that's completely different though. Like a, a, a hanging isn't a social event that somebody's planned and that person who planned it is like to be shunned. There's something the government's doing. Like it, it's not like at someone's house type thing. Do you know what I mean? It, the association isn't wrong because they've done something bad. It's you going to theirs. I suppose. I just, I believe that people would show up. I do. Fine. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe, you know what? I could see somebody like Lady Featherington showing up, but then telling other people she wasn't there. She'd be like, I didn't, I didn't go to that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, no. Or, or being the type that was like, I just happened to be across the street and I, I left something at her house. So I just, you know, went on in. Yeah. Um, I could see it. I don't know. Fine. Agree to disagree. Yeah. So I love Penelope and I feel like I'm always defending her. And sometimes I know that I shouldn't, um, especially in episodes like this. So what do you feel about Penelope continually using Lady Whistledown to deflect things in her real life to to go her way, messing up things for other people? So like in in... The first episode, she messes up Marina's real life by... In the first season. In yeah. the first season, sorry. In the first season, she messes up Marina's real life by putting in the paper that she's pregnant by another man. And now, in Eloise's and, and Theo's situation, she's putting Eloise in the paper. In order to avoid things that are happening in her, in her real life, she goes and puts them in the actual paper. Do we think this is okay, should she be digging herself into such holes? I have such a hard time because I feel like I'm so biased about this character. I love this character. She can almost do no wrong in my mind. But then when things like this happen, I'm like, this is really bad. It's not okay. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, every character has to have their flaws and hers is just that she's she's got this power and she can't resist using it to you know, for herself, for her family. I just wonder if there was other, if there was other situations or other characters that didn't behave like she did because she, she comes across as very kind of like innocent and sweet and a good friend. Those, those types of, she has those types of qualities. And because of that, I think we don't think it's that bad, but I wonder if either a male character or another type of, say, a Lady Featherington, who is more blunt in her real life about being this way, if she went and did those same exact things, whether or not we would not be okay with it, but but think it was worse if it was through a different character. Like, for me, in this next season, if Penelope gets found out, how does she redeem herself? Like, if if Colin finds out that, she basically ruined his potential marriage to to a person that he loved. How does she come back from that? You know, is is her being the sweet, kind character that we think she is enough? Or if this was a different character, would she not be redeemable at all? Well, yeah, of course. But, like, you can't separate her from the other aspects of her. So, like, mm. as a character, she does have all those other innocent, nice qualities and stuff that does ameliorate these issues raised like with her whistle down stuff like you know marina and eloise and stuff like you've just said so yeah you're right like a, a lot of other characters particularly you know 
if it had been someone who was a bit more slimy overall, I think Lady Featherington, you're right, would be 100% thrown under the bus. But that would be valid in those cases because they have such other kind of, um, I guess, crappy kind of personalities that we see, for the most part. We wouldn't want them to be redeemed at all. Whereas with Penelope, the only way that she's getting away with it as a character is because she has those other lighter side moments and has done from season one. Obviously, there was a whole season there where Penelope, we didn't know. And so that cemented in your mind, this is an innocent little girl, basically. You know, despite the fact that she's older than Eloise and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think... Obviously, with with her and Colin in the next season, there's not going to be too much of a barrier. There will be a barrier, but it will be overcome quite quickly, probably. Yes. I'm so interested how it's all going to fall apart and come back t- together. I I really was thinking in some ways that hers would be the last story because how else do you have you know, the narration and and Lady Whistledown's quite a big aspect of the series, even compared to the books, because the books, it's not as big of a thing where they've kind of framed the entire show off of this Lady Whistledown. And I wonder if they're, in, in some ways, if they're trying to abandon it because she's becoming a big star and they wanted to go ahead and get her season out of the way because they don't want to keep her contractually obligated as a as a side character for eight seasons, right? She really, you think that it's that, purely motivated by money? No, not necessarily. But I do think that for them, what happened with uh, Reggae John Page, how he was quite adamant that now that he'd gotten the success off of Bridgerton, that it was time to go, that he had so many other things he had going on. She already had the success of Dairy Girls. And and to me, I think loads of people are knocking on her door. Every other day I see her in an ad and a makeup ad. She's doing Vogue, all these different things. So she's getting huge. And right now she's a side character on a major TV show. Is she though? I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, because, because, just because, um, the main characters are always the people that are the focal, focal point. It's so. I see what you're saying. She's so a in, main in, character, but, but in. Yeah, but in terms of, of how they pay her, it's probably yeah. less. I see what you mean. So yeah. to me, I do think that they, they don't, they don't want her walking away prematurely before they can tell her story. So yeah, I think they're getting her out of the way so that she can go on and do other projects that she wants to go and do. But the thing is, though, she would be very stupid to walk away prematurely because Reggae Jean Page was just a... He was a main character. He was like the hunk of meat that they put on the posters. Whereas Penelope's character, Nicola, is like a, a character who, like you said, is 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 driving the whole show. Whereas he he basically was like, I'm I'm pretty and your fans like me. She goes, um, well, you pay me exactly what I want or your show's over. She's got so much more negotiation um, power. Maybe, but I think based on kind of how the books went about it, you 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 could have her season and then just have 
the narration of the Lady Whistledown paper keeping going about without her storyline needed needing to be Okay, so um I guess to kind of reinforce my point, I, I thought of something earlier and then didn't say it out loud, which makes sense. So in um because you were saying that the you weren't sure how that the that was kind of gonna come out in this season. What if it doesn't? Interesting. So, the whole whistle down, uh, who is she, will the queen found, find out, all that kind of stuff. That whole plot line, I mean, it depends on exactly how they want to go about it, but that whole plot line is the engine, it's driving the the mystery and the intrigue. So why not keep it for as long as possible? And unless they have plans to end it after four seasons, five seasons, I don't see them doing anything to that in season three, you know, if they're going to go for all eight, then you don't change that formula until six or seven. So what they can do is not have Colin find out. And then afterwards, Penelope's story is how does she carry on and yet also be happy in a marriage and also Interesting. Do you know what I mean? So then the tension doesn't then become who's going to find out. I mean, it's still there, but it, yeah. it's it's more on how does Penelope's character reconcile the two sides of her? The side that now wants to be happy and fulfilled. And, and settled in a and marriage. Settled, mm. And the side that wants to continue with the power and the intrigue and the fun and the gossip. I could see that. I think it's all just going to be whether or not she wants to stay on and whether or not they can, you know, negotiate and pay her what she needs and all those different things. So I I could see it. I'm, I know what you're saying and I would love it. I'd love for this character to go throughout the, all of the eight seasons. Absolutely. I just think her star power is too big for her to be on eight seasons. I don't think she she'll stay. I don't because it depends on Netflix's. It depends on coffers. How yeah, deep I, they are. I mean, I agree, but I also feel like because he's already set a precedence of like you know, oh, uh, I I went and now um, the actress who played Daphne has had other opportunities. She's also not going to be in the third season, so it's normal for people to fade off. I could see it. I don't know that we can say it's normal after only two seasons and the, the main characters from season one fading off. And to be fair, Daphne, I uh, don't even know who the actress was, uh, Phoebe Dinover? Dinover, yeah. yeah. To be fair to Phoebe Dinover, the writers didn't give her much in season two, did they? So, But I think the formula has was always going to be the people whose story it is, the couple whose story it is, it's not going to be an obligation for them to then be throughout the eight seasons. Well, so Of course not, but Penelope isn't one of the couples. She's Lady Whistledown. So I know. I, I'm just saying that there is a possibility that well, of course they could is, still yeah. keep the narration. They could still record a few scenes of her writing things in a montage, but you know, throughout the, the seasons without really needing to show what's going on with her. So that's just me. That's my two cents. Yeah, I don't, I don't want know. it to I be think... that way. I'm just telling you it could. Well, of course it could. I, I think that would be a weaker story, though, overall. Yeah, probably. Probably. So I just want to mention one of the amazing moments of the episode when Lady Danbury whacks Anthony with a cane, trying to keep him and Kate away from one another. 
I do wonder why, though. Like, um, in in Sense and Sensibility, I don't I don't think it would have been a massive scandal for him to go on and marry Kate. Um, they're such influential and rich people in society. Neither one would have been ultimately ruined, I don't think, um, for there to have been must, much of a fuss for him to have married the sister. But I don't know. I mean, you've got Henry VIII as precedent. Exactly. What's uh, the yeah. big deal? Go and marry your wife's sister. Although, no. <laughs> your your, your fiance's, fiance's sister. Yeah. Just Ex-fiance. go on. You know? Well, I think the interesting thing, though, is that it's it's obviously it's difficult because, like, compared to a commoner, a viscount is is you know beyond peer. But really, a viscount's nothing. So it, it's always interesting to me that when we when we think of the character and the kind of influence that they have and the money that they have, obviously they've got quite a lot of money compared to the ones who are just dames or ladies or whatever. You right. know, they're just married to some dude that's a sir. It's way way higher. But in terms of, like, I don't know, in terms of degree of importance, they're still relatively low on the totem pole, so maybe it would have affected them? I mean, in some ways, though, I think it was not at all uncommon for men to marry their wives' sisters. Probably after the wife wife died. Yeah. Yeah. Because the children were used to their mother. And so back then it wasn't as taboo. It was these children need a mother. I need this role to be filled relatively quickly. Her sister will do if her sister is single. And that that happened, I think, to like a president or two, maybe. But I mean, it 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 happened, especially in the 1800s when there was so much expansion and things like that. And people were were dying of diseases and stuff quite young and women were dying in childbirth it wasn't uncommon for you to turn and look at your wife's sister and be like hey (laughs) (laughs) so you know i think i think in some ways yes this could be a bit of a scandal just because it's a broken engagement and i'm gonna get into that now um, with the history moment but in other ways i think i don't know would this have really been a big deal so great segue I'm going to jump straight into this episode's history moment. So one of the things I'm really interested in knowing about the Regency era is how bad were broken engagements. I've talked about it before where I've kind of complained of like, is this really a plot point? Would this really have happened? And it is kind of a trope in different books and historical fiction and period dramas of this kind of broken engagement thing or being engaged to someone in secret, how much would it ruin your reputation if you didn't end up marrying that person or if you eloped together without someone's consent, you know, how bad would it have been? And I think based on my research, it could have been very much a case-by-case situation. So I've done a bit of research. Apparently, at one time, engagements were legally binding. So going back from the Middle Ages until the early 1900s, a man's promise to marry a woman was considered a legally binding contract in a lot of jurisdictions in the UK. So if a man did break his engagement, uh, he was said to be in breach of promise and the woman could take him to court for damages. 
So because money uh, could exchange hands over dowries, um, where sometimes the dowry exchanged hands before the marriage, it could get legally hairy. And it, it wasn't just a union between two people who loved each other. It definitely, I mean, we know, we know that marriage in a lot of ways was a business contract. But because oftentimes that could include land, property, unfortunately, slave plantations, other places. But because there could be so much involved in marriage that wasn't just, oh my gosh, we love each other, we should get married. A promise to marry was legally binding, but this was only in valid situations. So underage people could not promise to marry each other in a legal way, nor could someone who is promising to marry someone else once their spouse spouse died be considered legal. So no legal repercussions could occur if facts were found out after the betrothal, uh, such as misrepresenting your finances, your mental or physical state, or your appearance, if you maybe hadn't seen the other person. So essentially, if you catfish someone, they can break the engagement <laughs> with you without any legal repercussions. So, so that is really interesting. Yeah. Because you hear a lot about... Uh, seeing a, a painting and then not really seeing them and then they turn out to be ugly but then blah blah so like that that is interesting that uh, i don't know from what i was reading i don't know if it's a case of you would win but a oh, lot but of you could try but you could try basically okay. so it was more that that in terms of getting it to court um you had more of a legal leg to stand on if there was things that were missed represented so if you know if you said that you had loads of money and then you didn't and you lied about it that person has more of a case to take you to court than if you just don't want to be married to them or you don't want to be engaged now so. which way around was it equal on both parties um or was it more that the man would take the woman to court if the woman didn't have as much money as she said were women able to take men to court um yes i will get into that it's so initially, it was a bit more equal about broken engagement. By the Victorian period, it was almost exclusively women. And I'll tell you why. First of all, why the breach of promise was so much more harmful for women than it was for men was because it was accepted that engaged couples who are now promised to one another, and it's, you know, considered legally binding, they could engage in physical behaviors. So premarital sex was still frowned upon, but if such things were to happen to an engaged woman, it would be seen as far less bad because she is a promised woman, and therefore her reputation would stay in intact unless the engagement broke down. And then she turns into a single woman who is now not a virgin. So, so her future search for a husband would now be far harder because she's spoiled. So being able to sue her ex-fiance could at least recoup some of the money when she would be expecting security and maybe like pen money from a husband. So the pen money, yeah, kind of like an allowance. Oh, yeah. the The breach of promise was so much worse for women because of the the reputation which we've talked about be before, but also because I I wasn't aware of that there was kind of a more society saw engaged couple a little bit looser than they did single people. So you saw those people as they will get down the aisle. And so therefore, some oopsies would happen between engaged people occasionally. So if you broke that engagement, then it's all you're back to square one. And you're just you're a single harlot, basically. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. 
Um, so while breach of promise was clearly a thing, as I suspected, it was not as big of a thing as we may think it to be. So books such as Mary Edworth's 1801 novel Belinda mentions how serious it could be for women once they are bound in marriage. So she says, after a certain time, after the world suspects that two people are engaged to each other, it is scarcely possible for the woman to recede. When they come within a certain distance, they are pressed to unite by the irresistible force of external circumstances. A woman is too often reduced to this dilemma. Either she must marry a man she does not love, or she must be blamed by the world. Either she must sacrifice a, sacrifice a portion of her reputation or the whole of her happiness. A young woman is not, in this respect, allowed sufficient time for freedom of deliberation. End quote. However, historians such as Ginger S. Frost, in her book Courtship, Class, and Gender in Victorian England, says that the breach of promise is somewhat the... the use of breach of promise in courts is somewhat of a myth. So writers such as Charles Dickens in his Pickwick, Pickwick papers and Gilbert and Sullivan's trial by jury give us a misconception of how prevalent breach of promise was. So these legal cases were more dramatized in fiction than they actually happened in society. Oh, surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. However, from around 1650 to 1800, it was both men and women filing these suits, seeking damages for financial loss. So this is interesting. Especially young men would be the ones that would seek damages for financial loss because they would borrow beyond their means before the wedding would occur, thinking that they were going to come into a big inheritance from the new wife. And then if she jilted him, he would be out a lot of money or property. So the young man would go after his ex fiance's finances, hoping to recoup some of that money. So it's their fault. Yeah, I mean it is, but you know that's that would just borrowing on bad credit, like yeah, fools. I know. So yeah, apparently that was a thing where they would take the women to court because you know they're thinking here I'm going to get all this land or property or money, and I'm going to go have a few weekends in Vegas and gamble. Essentially, I doubt that that's what they were doing, but you know what I mean. Yeah, you know maybe they went and had a new carriage made or whatever, built things. Um, because sometimes you could have a really long engagement back then. It Sometimes they were very short and sometimes they could be really long. And if you were sitting around on a long engagement thinking, oh. How long is a long engagement? Like then? two years, which. Oh, I thought you meant like 10. <laughs> no, but two years is a long time for a couple who aren't supposed to be physical and who the intertwining of their marriage meant finances and all those sorts of things so two years a long time for a couple who aren't actually dating who are just yeah i suppose yeah that makes sense so if you are engaged to someone for two years and in that two years you're like oh well i'm coming into all this money i can put an extension on the house i can do all these different things and then she breaks it off two years in some of those men. some of those men that's, would take that's interesting take them to court yeah. yeah that is interesting though because in those situations clearly the woman has found out something worse than her reputation hit right because mm. in in the situation that you described for the nefarious minded a young man could potentially get himself in close proximity with a young woman and then basically force her to accept a proposal because of her reputation hit but the other way around doesn't necessarily work because 
the woman is the one at more risk of the reputation damage, right? Mm. Whereas it's interesting that you should say that from what 1650s to the 1800s, there were young men who were being jilted or, or mm. whatever, and and then they were losing money. So the the women must have been getting something out of that exchange. They must have realized, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean some something like physical or whatever, but they must have realized that they were getting out of a bad situation. Maybe, you know, maybe he smelled or was a bad business person and, and was like making bad investments or something, you know? Like well, in some of the period dramas that I've watched, what that looks like is not necessarily the woman herself wanting to get out of the proposal it's the family so uh, yeah. she's 16 or 17 she loves him she she's promised to marry him but he's poor he's her father's apprentice whatever and then she says no daddy i'm gonna marry him and daddy's like no you're not and so it, it's it's more of um the the father is aware that the man that the young man has no money or no social standing and so if if the father in some of these period dramas, if the father is of high enough social standing, even though the daughter has betrothed herself to, you know, this young man with no money, it's it's kind of seen as a because the father has power and money and all these things that he kind of wipes it away. And he's like, you're not engaged to him anymore. That's not happening. And so the rest of society just were like, yeah, he shut that down. And it's and it's not seen as a big deal in terms of hurting her reputation as much. It's just more of like, oh, she was silly during that time. And she she got engaged to this man that she didn't really ask her parents about. And that's kind of wiped away, depending on the difference in their social standing and, and that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I, have, I have seen it in that situation. So, however, this is also interesting. Again, this whole thing is interesting. So this changes, though, by the Victorian period. By the Victorian period, middle to upper class families were reluctant to actually take these cases to court because they would drag out the more personal nature of the couple's relationships and shine a light on these families. So exceptions would be made if the woman became pregnant out of wedlock and then she was completely unmarriageable. So often they just the, the families wouldn't want to take it to court because the news of the broken engagement they wanted it to go away as quickly as possible and they didn't want it to turn into a, a scandal, which is essentially what the Bridgertons and the Sharmas plan for Anthony and Edwina in episode seven and eight, where it's like the, the quicker we make this look like it goes back to normal for all of us, the better. The other reason why these cases often didn't make it to court was because there was just a lot of risk involved uh, with the juries. So they could be really unpredictable. So essentially they would be instructed to deconstruct these relationships, taking into account the length of the engagement, the costs incurred, the loss of reputation, the punitive da damages, the defendant's ability to pay, etc. So they, they also could just decide to ignore the evidence or throw out ridiculous sums of money because one side one side's team is doing better or is more entertaining than the other. So like we've seen in cases like the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard case, in these breach of promises cases, it's it really lays bare the private lives of these couples, how their legal teams perform, and outside perception can really affect the parties, damaging their reputation beyond repair for both sides. Um, so a lot of times these 
just never made it to court because these families, these Victorian families, it the risk was too high for them. They they were afraid they'd lose way too much, that their da- daughter's reputation would not be able to be repaired. So the risk of, of even taking it to court instead of just like letting sleeping dogs lie was so much worse by the time that period came about. So one of the reasons why it shifted from men and women bringing these lawsuits to almost exclusively women was that societal sentiments shifted by the Victorian era, and it was seen as unmanly or ungentlemanly to take a woman to court in this manner. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So it would have been far more scandalous for the man, and he could have been portrayed as a cad or less of a man if he did bring something like this to court, possibly ruining his reputation as a gentleman. Surprisingly, in the UK, the last known breach of promise case was in 1970 when a woman's fiancé broke off the engagement, so she sued him for breach of promise. It was somewhat built into the law that women were seen as more fickle and the weaker sex, so women were allowed to change their mind without repercussion. Oh, good. Right? (laughs) But in uh, 1969, Eva Haraldstead sued George Best, who was a famous footballer or soccer player, for breach of promise. So pretty much right after that, the laws changed to where anything that had to do with a couple breaking up and there being property involved, that was handled like disputes between married couples. Um, But there's no repercussion for anyone if the engagement is broken. So property is a separate matter. It's it's not reputation-based. Um, well, that makes sense. So today we can occasionally see uh, people recoup losses for broken engagements. So in 2017, singer Mariah Carey was engaged to billionaire James Packer, who broke off their engagement. She took him to court asking for $37 million. She wanted compensation for uprooting her life in New York and moving to L.A. to be with him. <laughs> She she didn't get that sev- thirty seven million. I wonder Shocker. why. Shocker. Um, but he did agree to three million, and she kept a seven million dollar ring that he gave her. What? I know. I know. Wait. What? Why? Why is any ring seven million dollars? Because he's a billionaire. Um, so other examples are in 2021, a Cherokee County uh, court in Georgia awarded a woman $50,000 by her ex-fiance when he broke off their engagement. Um, however, these are case-by-case situations. So in this particular case, the couple had been in a relationship for 10 years and had had a child. So when they got engaged, she moved into a home with him, quit her job, and stayed home to raise their child. She then found out that he was having an affair and he kicked her and the children out of their home because he wanted to be with the woman who was he was having an affair with. So the courts decided to treat this like a marriage breakdown, like I mentioned earlier, and awarded her with what she would have gotten if they were married and the relationship broke down and that's what she would have gotten in a divorce. So very few states today allow breach of contract to marry lawsuits. But in rare cases like this one, where essentially the couple's relationship in terms of of assets behaved like a marriage. So they have grounds to be awarded property such as a home or joint finances. But there's no there's no legal recourse anymore 
for like loss of reputation like there would well, have been not, in the 19th century. I yeah. think that makes a lot of sense, particularly in the UK, because there are a lot of couples who will cohabitate. Mm. But to go back to Bridgerton, would Edwina really have been tarnished for life and never been able to marry again? So based on this evidence, I think not, as she would have been the person breaking the marriage and untarnished because they didn't do anything physical, but the public scrutiny might have affected her prospects. So maybe. But the chances are we might find out in the next season. So I don't know. The answer is I still, I don't know. But my guess is that no, she's going to be fine. And I really hope that she finds a really cool guy in the next season because I think she is in the next season. So I'm just saying I think she is. I don't know. Spoilers. Oh, come on. We're at episode seven of no, season no. two. That's not what I mean. Spoilers for season three. You looking at all this cast I'm information sorry. and I'm sorry, stuff. I'm sorry, I'm you sorry. You know that I don't do okay, that. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll keep my mouth shut. So wrapping up the episode here, I'm going to do a suggestion. One of us wraps up the episode with, with a suggestion for a TV show or a book or whatever. Jordan did it last time. What did I suggest last time? <laughs> Jordan suggested Sharp last time um and now i'm going to suggest miss scarlet and the duke so it's a bit different um it's not regency period but it is a period drama and i have fallen in love with it so it's a victorian murder mystery with a will they won't they love dynamic uh it's set in victorian england so it's very sherlock holmes except it's a female detective solving mysteries it's got a very kind of light vibe to it so it's it's similar to vienna blood and the alienist if you've seen either one of those but it's a lot lighter um it's there's more emphasis on the love story in this and so if you're wanting something light but you want like a murder mystery and you want something that's going to be in the victorian period and that has a love story to it then miss scarlet and the duke is for you the costumes are are gorgeous if you love those really kind of tailored victorian silhouettes and the corseted bodies corseted bodices and skirts colorful hats and and really cool like intricate hair designs this is the show for you i think it's really well done the music is really fun some people might be put off by thinking this is a, a dark murder mystery because it's victorian and that a lot of times can happen in victorian murder mysteries i mean sherlock can be pretty dark but it's not it's light and fun try it out it's on masterpiece theater um and i think possibly BritBox in the U.S. or Acorn. Um, there's so many different streaming services now. I don't know. But I do know that in terms of the U.S., um, it it's on PBS Masterpiece. So you'll be able to, to watch it on there. What about the U.K.? The U.K., it's on uh, Now TV or Alibi Channel, I think. So, yeah. I think Alibi is one of those freeview ones. It's it's not it's this so it's so complicated. Really? is the same as Dave, isn't it? No, you have to pay for it now. Oh, see, it, it's just complicated. All the different shows I enjoy watching, I have to. I could go into a rant about this, but in order to to find a lot of the period dramas that I want to watch, I I have to to subscribe to like five different kinds of channels. They've put different stuff on Acorn, then they have BritBox, then they have. Now TV, then they have mm-hmm. Netflix, and it's Paramount TV is apparently now a thing. You know, it's there's so many nowadays, yep. so it's uh, it's I'll overwhelming. I'm trying to get a piece of the pie. I'm trying to get a piece of the pie. 
So thanks so much for listening to me rant, basically. I mean, you said some stuff, but, you know. Who who am I? The cat's mother. What does that mean? Um, it It's something that is regularly said when you say, oh, she does this, she does this. And then someone goes, who am I? The cat's mother, because it's rude to call someone she when you could say, Lady Danbury said this instead of saying, well, she said this. Like, who am I? The cat's mother. I don't know. I've never heard that before. It, yeah, it's it's a it's a thing. Um, is it kind of the equivalent of like, what am I, a chop liver? Yes. Okay. Yes, probably. Interesting. Yeah. Don't really know where it came from. <laughs> just assume that it's a British saying. It could just be my family. At this point, we don't know. I know, because I forget um, whether a, a phrase is American or British, I regularly have to Google things to figure out if they're spelled correctly over here or not. And it happens all the time. Like, bust and focused. You know... Are you trying to say that you regret marrying me? Is that what you're trying to say? Because all right, now okay, your vocabulary is bad or something? Listeners, how did here anything that I just say... Here we go. ...equal that I regret marrying Here we go. my wife that's so silly well i think i'm done now i need to go we may or may not see you on the next episode goodbye <laughs> <laughs> bye bye